started, I think. Um, welcome to the National Library of Australia. My name is Nicola Mackay-Sim, and I'm the library's curator of pictures. In welcoming you here today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we meet. I thank the, their elders, past and present, for caring for this land that we are now privileged to call home. This evening's talk explores our exhibition, Heroes and Villains, Struts Australia, a celebration of the life and work of Australia's first exponent of history painting, William Strutt. Tonight's discussion will focus on the items in the exhibition from the perspective of the State Library of Victoria, our exhibition partner. I would like to take this opportunity to thank the State Library of Victoria for joining with us to bring you such a comprehensive exhibition. I would also like to thank other exhibition lenders, the State Library of New South Wales, the University of Melbourne, the Melbourne Club, the Parliament of Victoria, the National Gallery of Australia, the National Gallery of Victoria, and the Art Gallery of South Australia. It is thanks to their generosity that we are able to share a deep insight into the artistic work of one of Australia's greatest colonial artists. Born in England, Strutt arrived in Australia in 1850 at the age of 25. He spent most of his time around Melbourne until his return to England in 1862. During his 12 year stay, he experienced a gold rush, a population increase in Melbourne of over 100,000 people, and the establishment of the colony of Victoria. He also saw firsthand the incredible destruction and awesome forces that an Australian bushfire season could unleash. The Black Thursday bushfires were a devastating series of fires that swept the colony of Victoria on the 6th of February, 1851. They are considered the largest Australian bushfires in a populous region in recorded history, with approximately one quarter of Victoria being burnt. Twelve human lives were lost, plus one million sheep, thousands of cattle and countless native animals. And one ambitious history painter, William Strutt, chose to record it. To find out more about his work by this work by Strutt, as well as others, it's my great pleasure to introduce Madeline Say from the State Library of Victoria. Madeline trained in biological sciences and worked as a research scientist before becoming a librarian. She has been the pictures collection manager at the State Library of Victoria since 2002 and has published in the La Trobe Journal, amongst many other publications. Please join me in welcoming Madeline. Excuse me, have we got a pointer in here? Pointer. Yeah, I was just thinking one of those laser pointers. Oh, that's all right. I can, I can. The audience, I'm sure, will indulge me when I try and. Sorry. Ah, okay, fabulous. Thank you. So thank you for that very kind introduction, Nikki. And um, thank you to the NLA for this uh, opportunity to speak tonight. I'm from the State Library of Victoria, and this is to remind you of our address in 328 Thornton Street in Melbourne. Um, I'm going to speak about... I'm going to 
I'm going to give a timeline of the period that William Strutt was in Victoria. I'm then going to talk about the works that we've lent to the exhibition downstairs. And I'm going to um, finish up by talking about some of William Strutt's portraits. And that'll include some of the works that are downstairs and some of the works that, um, for obvious for reasons that you'll become apparent, we couldn't loan to this exhibition. But if you're ever in Victoria, we would encourage you to come and see them in, in the library. So I'm going to start with um, William Strutt's period in Victoria because it was really very, very brief. He was there for just a decade. So he arrives in July 1850 and this is he's a young man of 25, as Nikki has said. Um, white settlement in Victoria started about 1835. There's a bit of debate about that. Um, Portland and then the Enterprise arrives in the Yarra River. But really the colony is only 15 years old when Strutt arrives. So it's terribly young. And it is a colony because it's still governed from Sydney. So it's incredibly um, opportune that we're, this talk is being held today on the 11th of November because that's a date that resonates throughout Australian history. Not only the dismissal, um, but this was known as Separation Day in Victoria. Um, so the actual separation from Sydney didn't happen until July the following year, 1851. But um, when the news arrived by ship that the British government had finally decided that Victoria, could, or Port Phillip as it was called, could become a separate colony, the, the Melbourne went into three days of hijinks and street parades and um, everyone stopped work. Um, and this culminated in the opening of um, the new Princess Bridge across the Yarra River, which of course was a vital uh, ingredient in the growth of Melbourne because it joined the two sides of the Yarra. Up until then, there'd been a, only been a punt. Um, so Strutt was there observing all of this. He's working for Thomas Hamm, who is um, doing illustrated newspapers, so he's doing um, topical designs and illustrations and recording events. Um, he, he was not... I'm just going to read a little bit from the Argus, who um, stopped publishing for three days while all the hijinks were happening, but then when they went all back... And the reason they gave for that was they wanted everyone to take part in, in this celebration. Um, but they then, when they went finally back to business, they... Um, they gave up over a whole page to just describing every, every event that had happened, including, of course, the decorations that Strutt had made for the windows of Thomas Hamm's shop for the nighttime illuminations. So the Argus says, A few words are required to close this record. Harmony prevailed amongst all the classes. Intemperance was all but unknown. <laughs> Freed from all restraint, the people gave vent to their joy in rational entertainment. And having celebrated the event of separation in a spirit which reflects honour upon them and will be chronicled in history. So obviously, Port Phillipians, or Victorians as they became, were not going to behave like that rabble in Sydney or Hobart. <laughs> 1851. Um, this, in February, is the date of the bushfire. And Strutt, this is Strutt's first Australian summer. 
So he's never experienced anything like this before. You know, the heat, the, and of course the build, as we all know, as we've um, lived through the recent fires on the eastern seaboard, um, it's not only the event of the day, but it's the dryness and the build-up, and you know that something is coming. Um, so he, lived, he records that in his diary, and um, it obviously made a very deep impression upon him. Because he was working at Thomas Hand's um, establishment, people would come in with, with news reports of what had been happening, and a lot of those reports that he heard are incorporated into the painting. And when we go downstairs to see it, we can talk about some of those. Later that year, um, reports start to happen about gold being found in Victoria. Um, and this is the start of the gold rushes. And um, three months, three months, five, four months, after separation has officially happened in July, um, the Victorians get their act together and they have their first parliamentary elections and they have their first representational parliament. And that, once again, is um, a pretty amazing act of um, organisation, I think. Now, this little cute little building here, this is St Patrick's Hall, which stood in Burke Street between William and Elizabeth Street. And of course, St Patrick's Hall, it was set up by the Irish Catholics as their social hub. But that's where the first parliament um, was held, because the, the other parliament, of course, hadn't been built by then. And St Patrick's Hall, that's the synagogue next door to it, um, it'll appear later on in our talk. Uh, you probably can't see it, but all of these images that I've chosen tonight are digitised on our website, and the text around there names all the people who were the first parliamentarians. Um, we have J.P. Faulkner, and we have a few other famous names that you'll see. So, once again, this was an illustration not done by Strutt, but done by Tullet. But it was, you know, they did these illustrations in order to sell copies to everybody who's named there. Definitely money-making ventures. As the 1850s go on, um, as Nikki has said, Melbourne changes enormously, Victoria changes enormously. Uh, you have um, the establishment of uh, all the... Um, the establishment of, of all the means of government, you know, law and order, responsible government, you also have um, this incredible social change that starts to happen when the wealth of gold rushes leads to um, people making a lot of money, but also the demand for goods and services rising exponentially. I mean, we all complain now about the property boom in Melbourne and the prices of land going up, but the gold rushes saw an incredible period. So 1855 and 1856 are actually the period at which Strutt decides to take his um, wife and his growing family, he has a few children by this stage, and they go off to New Zealand. And um, that's represented definitely in the exhibition downstairs. But um, I hadn't really reflected on this until I started putting this timeline together. And of course, this is the period that Eureka happens. Um, so Strutt goes off to New Zealand. Fortunately for us, he's back. Um, by November in that year when the first official parliament um, is opened in the new building, but he completely misses the Eureka Stockade. And, I mean, Strutt, I think, really was a man of the establishment, so I'm not sure what he would have made of Eureka. He does mention it in his memories, but it's really interesting to think that he could have perhaps recorded um, the trial or, the pe or done portraits of the people who were involved, but he misses it. He's just not there. 
So the late 1850s, um, I've just mentioned here some of the sort of things that are established through this period. This uh, photograph is by Charles Nettleton and it's probably, probably taken from the new Parliament House which is up in Burke Street at the corner, corner of Spring and Burke Street because um, one of the things about Melbourne is that it's awfully flat so there's actually very hard to get a good vantage point to take a photograph. Um, so I couldn't find a photograph of of the parliament from this period. So Nettleton's standing on top of the parliament and um, that building behind him, that's St Peter's Eastern Hill, the Anglican Church, which of course is still there. Um, that's Victoria Parade, the long parade there. And that sort of square cubic building um, in the distance, that's in Albert Street and it's actually the water tower. Um, and it was there for many years. It's now the site of the Ionia Hospital, that huge uh, brown brick structure. Um, which you might, some of you might know. But um, the, the, the water tower was where they pumped um, the clean drinking water from the Anion Reservoir. And we've got hundreds of photographs of, of all the things about the Anion Water Reservoir because it was such an important piece of infrastructure to be able to provide clean drinking water to a growing population. Um, so that's what that little building is. So the 1860s, Strutt, as we know, he leaves, he and his family, they leave um, Australia in January 1862 uh, for, for Britain, never to return. And I don't think any of his children even came back. Um, the 1860s are dominated by the Birkenwells saga. And um, it's really hard for us to imagine um, how this unfolded in real time over the 18 months between when the expedition left Royal Park and all the fanfare um, to when the second part, the search party actually really found the dead bodies. Um, we're of course so familiar with this story that it's hard for us to comprehend the drama as it unfolded. But um, Philip Adams once described sitting through um, his film on, on the subject in France. And he said, when they got to the end of the film, there was this stunned silence because none of the people in the audience had realised that all the protagonists were actually going to die. Oh, sorry, John King did make it back. Um, but, yeah, it, it's... I mean, Strutt lived, lived through that sort of entire period of um, wondering what was going to happen and whether there was going to be a happy or a sad ending. Um, so his time in Victoria was incredibly brief, just really a decade... Um, but what a decade. It was the foundation decade of Victoria. Um, and um, he, lent, he, he lived through uh, most of the events that also became our enduring um, social myths, such as you know, Parliament, the uh, Birkenwells, the bushfires, and um, many of these still resonate today. So I'm not so sure how many people in this audience have, um, have visited the State Library, all of you I trust at some stage, <laughs> probably very familiar with it. Um, but we're, we're not an art gallery, we're, we're a social history collection and um, our, our the paintings in our collection are not judged entirely on artistic merit, um, but they about the stories that they tell us about Victorian lives and the times. 
So we've got five major paintings by William Strutt. We've also, of course, got a number of sketches and prints. Um, and um, when they're not off on loan, <laughs> we like to display them in the Cowan Gallery. So this, this is our central, central part of our building. Um, and it's, it once housed the National Gallery of Victoria before they got their new building in, in um, St Kilda Road. So it's really wonderful to have it um, returned as a picture gallery after the refurbishment of the library in um, 2004, 2003, 2004. So we've, we've even constant, reconstituted the Salon Hang, um, where we hang uh, work, you know, works double hang. Um, and as you can see, Black Thursday takes pride of place in the central uh, gallery with the buff wall. And um, Burial of Burke is sort of down where those little figures are. And that's in a section of the room that's uh, devoted to the Burke and Wills legend. Um, at the north end of this central, long central room, we have um, this red rotunda, named for obvious reasons. And um, that's where we have our colonial portraits. Um, it's known colloquially by the staff as the Stuffed Shirts Gallery. <laughs> and on the south end, which I haven't um, included here, because it's the gallery that has the contemporary portraits, so, of course, Strutt's not part of that. So, without... Um, oh, I should have explained that um, Mr and Mrs Faulkner normally hang in the Rand Rotunda. They hang over there on the um, left-hand side. Um, but we have a number of portraits of that particular size, so there's a bit of a rotation there, depending on whether they're off on loan or whether there's somebody else who's deemed to be a little bit more important in the scheme of things. That huge portrait on the right, um, that is Sir John O'Shaughnessy, um, his portrait done by Strutt, and I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the talk tonight. So Black Thursday... It's our largest and obviously our most valuable painting. And it has pride of place um, in the gallery. That door beside it leads into the Redmond Barry reading room. So it's, at, it's in an incredibly busy thoroughfare and it does, it's incredibly popular with the public. You often have people um, standing in front of it looking at it. And we had to move the label from the traditional left-hand part to the central part because people would stand there reading the label and just block the doorway. So, <laughs> um, even if it wasn't a very popular painting, we would have it always on display because um, we can't really store it. We can't fit it in, into any of our stores. We can't fit it into any of our lifts. It's, it's a logistical nightmare to get it up and down and around the building. So... So it stays there when it's not around that. Um, the story of Black Thursday um, is well known and there's also a really good article um, about it in the Latrobe Journal, which is online if you wish to read that. So I'm not going to repeat it here and I think it's also better to talk about the painting when we're downstairs in front of it. Um, suffice to say that this was the, um, the first colonial work that Strutt completed on his return to England in 1864, and I think it's really his best colonial work. Um, he, he'd brought a lot of his elements together to construct this work from his um, academic training, and, um, and he was also just passionate about the subject. 
I mean, the bush, the bush rangers picture, I think, is equally as engaging and equally a crowd pleaser, but Black Thursday is, is definitely got a lot. It's a unique picture which has a lot to say. In contrast, the burial of Burke was one of Strutt's last paintings. He completed it four years before he died in 1911, and really, it's not very exciting. You know, we have it because of the subject matter and because it was given to the library. But, um, but it, you know, the figures are wooden, the poses are stiff. It's, it's just really basically a dog of a painting. So, <laughs> so in short, the library has the best and the worst of William Strutt and some of the in-between works. So how else are we to judge his legacy? Um, Strutt's sketches and watercolours of the Victorian Parliament and other subjects are, are, and his works on the portraits of the Birkin Wills and their leaving of, from Royal Park, they're, they're terrific documents of record and the exhibition has a really good display of those. But um, in contrast to, for example, S.T. Gill, um, whose wonderful exhibition you're going to see next year, um, Strutt in no way, in my opinion, um, is compares as a recorder of the Bushfield, the um, Goldfields period. Um, for me, a really important part of Strutt's legacy is his, his portraits. So I was really pleased to see on display downstairs um, his portrait of Robert O'Hara Burke. And if you looked at the timeline, he was completing that virtually the day before he packed and got on that ship to back to Britain. But it's a beautiful, luminous work, and I'm no, I'm no fan of Robert O'Hara Burke's, but um, it's, it, I did check beforehand, and I'm allowed to mention that it normally hangs in the Melbourne Club, so, which is not open to the public, and unless you're a, you know, a friend of someone in the Melbourne Club, you won't get to see the portrait again, so do appreciate it downstairs. So these are our portraits of Mr and Mrs Faulkner, and um, Strutt's often de described as J.P. Faulkner's... Um, uh, J.P. Faulkner's often described as, as Strutt's um, patron in Melbourne. And I think they were probably, probably on the same wavelength, shall we say. Um, this, the one of John Pascoe Faulkner here is done in 1853. And Mrs. Faulkner was one of the um, his and her pair that um, Strutt comp completed later on in 1856. So this earlier portrait of John Pascoe Faulkner, he's memorialised as um, a member of the Victorian um, Parliament and that's probably him in St Patrick's Hall, not in the new Parliament House because that, of course, hadn't been built by that stage. Um, now, both Mr and Mrs Faulkner were people from incredibly modest backgrounds. In fact, you know, as, as they had the convict stain in their past. So they were self-made people who shall we say, in contrast to um, John, ba John Batman and his family, became very much establishment figures in Melbourne. They were hard-working, conscientious, um, civic-minded people. Um, John... This, by contrast, is the um, pair of portraits that... Um, Strutt completed later on in 1856 and I've always been really intrigued to know how they became separated because we have Mrs Faulkner and the National Library of Australia has Mr Faulkner. So, I mean, John... <laughs> we do. 
But, I mean, they were, they were obviously painted as a pair. Um, it's interesting that uh, the portraits aren't signed. I don't... Is he signed? Yeah. No. So, in fact, the library didn't um, really attribute this portrait of Mrs um, Faulkner to Strutt for many years because um, it wasn't signed. Uh, we, I think we knew who it was, but we didn't know who it was by. Now, John Pascoe Faulkner was a um, very generous donor to the State Library of Victoria. Um, in 1869, yeah, I'm getting the 18th and 19th century confused. Um, in 1869, just before he died, he actually gave about 200 foundation documents relating to Melbourne to the library. And that, of course, includes um, the, the, the drawings of um, the Victorian Parliament by Strutt. Um, but we think these portraits that um, probably came in the 1930s from uh, Faulkner's descendants uh, when they gave a lot of material to the library during the 1930s um, centenary uh, hoo-ha that was happening when we had the 100-year um, settlement of um, white Victoria. So um, at that stage, Faulkner and his wife didn't have any children of their own but they had nieces and nephews, and we've got a large bequest of material, including his writing desk, his inkwell, his um, walking stick, his dressing gown, you know, probably the portraits at that stage, I imagine. Um, Mrs. John Pascoe Faulkner um, and Mrs. Faulkner, neither of them, I, you have to excuse the pun, but neither of them were oil paintings. I, you know, this is... This is a really a portrait of a really ugly, powerful face, Mr. Faulkner. And um, Mrs. Faulkner is, um, she shall we say matronly or well-upholstered perhaps. Um, she, even, cont even contemporary accounts describe her as plain and she um, apparently had a cast in her left eye which um, struts very carefully sort of... Um, not focused on, <laughs> but um, we have hundreds of photographs of John P Pascoe Faulkner. He was very keen on having himself photographed, but in the library collection we have no photographs of Mrs Faulkner, so I, I really don't know if this is a very lifelike um, portrait of her, but I would imagine it is. I mean, for, to me there's something that's really weird about that figure. She's, she's got such a high bust line and she's, she's got a kind of squat but um, anyhow, Strutt has done his best with it, I think. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, th I think it's a testament to the man's skill as a portrait painter that he, he didn't pretty them up. I mean, he's, he's put flowers in her hair and he's made her look very, very much an establishment person. But, yeah, they, they, I think we can be sure that these are, are reasonably, reasonably good portraits of the people as they were. So, to finish up, I'm just going to talk about um, this monumental portrait of Sir John O'Shaughnessy. And I've, this isn't a particularly good photograph, um, but I photographed it in situ with um, just one of our patrons in the library wandering by, just to try and give you an idea of the monumental size of this work. It's enormous, and even if Matthew had wanted it for the exhibition, we, we, couldn't, have, <laughs> we couldn't have got it out the building and lent it to him. It's also incredibly heavy, you know, so it hangs up on this wall and it's stays there. <laughs> but um, it's, 
a really interesting work because it doesn't appear in Heather Curnow's definitive um, uh, book on strut. The, because, and that's, that's no reflection on Heather. At the time that she was writing the book in the 1980s, um, this work was not available for, it was away in a crate, it was damaged, it was, it was not available for her to see. The library itself didn't have a photograph of it. And for, by some weird sort of connection, they decided that it was um, a portrait of George Coppin, the theatrical impersonation. Anyhow, so once they finally got it out of the crate and they found the money to restore it in preparation for the Cowan Gallery, um, they, it's signed by, by Strutt down the bottom and um, it is um, obviously of Sir John S. Anderson. So here I've just listed some of Sir John's... Um, he, he was a very busy man. Um, he's almost forgotten in history today. And there's an O'Shaughnessy Street in North Melbourne, but there's really no other sort of major legacy of his in Melbourne. Um, he, he arrives with his wife, he's an Irish Catholic, he arrives um, with his wife in, in 1839 and they open a, a drapery business after some time spent um, not being very successful farmers. Um, I've always, I had thought when I first um, started researching this that probably the, uh, you know, all the drapery in the background referred to his, um, his background as a draper, but I don't think that's at all the case. I think um, that it, it's an, they're allegorical or um, allusions to power. Um, you can see the volumes of legislature down on the floor that are under his feet, and then on the table there's all the trappings of... Um, him being um, a lawmaker and member of parliament. Um, why it's so big and why there's so much space around the figure, I don't really know, but possibly that's who, when it was commissioned by St Patrick's Hall, perhaps that's, they wanted a portrait that size. And it's life size, as you can see, from the, it's actually exact size that um, Sir John O'Shaughnessy wouldn't have been. So he, he was, he started off as a very modest immigrant and then he became, through, he, apparently his wife was quite a shrewd businesswoman, and the pair of them um, made a real goal of being in Victoria. Um, it's, a, it's a common enough story, uh, but he um, was a very successful man by, and very wealthy by the time he died in 1883. This, this is um, a, two illustrations to show you that, once again, Strutt really had got portrait of the man I think pretty good. Um, on the left we have a cartoon from Melbourne Punch which is um, having a dig at, at the shenanigans in the Victorian Parliament when it was up at St Patrick's Hall and you can see that they've drawn um, Sir John as the harp of Erin down there and then on the um, right hand side we've got this early photograph by um, the prominent photographer Antoine Frechery who was a French emigre and he's pictured Sir John in, uh, on a very bad hair day. In, um, and this, this went into Sun Pictures of Victoria. So I think the only other people in there were um, Sir Henry Barclay and the uh, French consul and the photographer himself. So he was obviously a man of great importance at the time. Um, and I think the portrait really does um, credit to the man. So here we are back at St Patrick's Hall. And this is a later photograph, um, 1870, when it had gone back to being the hall. 
Um, and you can see that they rebuilt the um, Jewish synagogue next door. Uh, the, if you look at that first interior of the Victorian Parliament, that is inside this building, and you can see the, um, how plain the walls must have been. Um, it's, it was designed by Samuel Jackson, who was an early colonial architect and gave his name to Jackson Street in St Kilda. Um, and it, the pair of these buildings lasted until the 1950s when they were demolished, sadly, for some, you know, very ordinary <laughs> um, office block. But um, the, the, the painting must have dominated that hall. And, and once again, we don't really know when the painting came to the library. We don't have any provenance information. But um, my feeling would be that it probably was at the time at which this hall was demolished because that's normally when we get things. We get things when people are moving house or when um, you know, something's been demolished or somebody, some, someone's died and their estate's been broken up. Um, I should have probably zoomed in on this photograph. Um, so the portrait of Sir John had been to the library before. It, it was lent by Sir John in 1869 to this um, fine arts exhibition that was held at the library. Um, it was the brainchild of um, Sir Edmund Barry and he envisaged it. It was part of the, the exhibition craze and mania during the, the um, 19th century and he envisaged it as, as a, um, an educational experience. So this large wooden barn uh, was built, um, the library's a jumble of buildings and it's always really hard to kind of think exactly where, which was where, but um, it, was, it was kind of, it was finally demolished for the, um, the building of the store hall, where, which is where the Cowan Gallery is now. So um, it, was, it was there for quite some years. Um, this photograph by Nettleton, he's had trouble with the light coming in through those open windows up there. And, um, but you can clearly see that on this dais, uh, and we've got a number of portraits in the centre, of course, is Queen Victoria. She's quite recognisable. Um, we've got the equestrian portrait of um, MacArthur, which is in the exhibition downstairs, up there on the left. I think on the right, we've got um, CJ Latrobe. And this is Sir John O'Shaughnessy down here. Um, it'll become clear in a minute when I read a bit from the Argus why I think that's the portrait of Mrs O'Shaughnessy um, above him. And then those sort of dotty portraits that are in, hung in groups across there, they're, they're called the oval portraits. And they were another one of um, Redmond Barry's brainchilds. And those still exist in the library collection. And you can see them online. He, he commissioned somebody to make a series of portraits of um, the founding fathers of Victoria. And um, they were done over a photograph and they were hand-painted. So there is Sir John in all his glory at the high table. I mean, you know, we don't remember him very much, but obviously in 1869 he was quite important, enough to get a, pa a place on the official dais. So I'm going to conclude by reading um, part of a review from the Argus newspaper of this exhibition. I think it's as good a comment as any on the revolving fashion of art and the ups and downs of painters' reputations. 
This is from 1869, which is, uh, which is less than 10 years after Stratton had left England, um, Australia, and already his, as we'll see, already his reputation was in decline. Um, his reputation really didn't rise for many years afterwards. Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting to think about the vagaries of art. So the Argus says, the first picture which challenges attention at once by its size and the position and its subject is a copy of Winterhalter's portrait of the Queen. The portraits which surround it are all bad, with one exception, that of Mrs O'Shaughnessy, which is why I think she's hung up there. This, however, is the work of a modern Roman artist and is a production of considerable merit. The taste in which it is executed is even purer than that of the Winterhalter. The portrait of Mr O'Shaughnessy by Strutt is a disgrace to colonial art. <laughs> and that of the Chief Justice is very little better. I think this is probably the portrait on the other side. The only remaining oil painting in this quarter is the equestrian figure of General MacArthur, a picture which is principally remarkable for the extraordinarily bad drawing of a horse. <laughs> Poor old Strutt. So that concludes my talk tonight and I think we should really go and look at some real art.